Hi, my name is Kirk Hamilton, your host of the Staying Healthy Today Show. This is a show where I bring you key experts in the fields of nutrition, prevention, integrative, and lifestyle medicine. Today's show topic is the role of polymicrobial infections in coronary artery disease and why a plant-based diet works for the prevention and reversal of heart disease. Our guest today is Dr. Stephen Fry, MSMD, Medical Director of Fry Laboratories located in Scottsdale, Arizona. This lab has evaluated the role of infectious agents in chronic inflammatory diseases for more than 15 years. He co-authored a paper in 2017 entitled Evidence for Polymicrobial Communities in Explanted Vascular Filters in Atheroma Debris in the journal Molecular and Cellular Probes. So welcome to the show and uh, nice to talk to you, Dr. Fry. Thanks very much, Kirk. Happy to be here. So I guess it was my fortune to sit next to you at the uh, American Academy of Integrative Medicine Conference. And one of the things that caught my eye was obviously you have a laboratory and that you evaluate different types of potential pathogens. you want to give a general overview of your laboratory and then we'll narrow it down to coronary artery disease? Okay, great. Well, I'll give you a little background first. Uh, I have a, a bachelor's degree in microbiology, master's degree in molecular biology, and then uh, went on to medical school, did some work in surgical pathology, but finally went out of practice in 92. And in practice, I noticed there were a lot of patients who were chronically ill, and there really wasn't a satisfactory uh, answer as to really what was wrong with them. And uh, being with a microbiology background, I was extremely biased. And I sort of started this search in the 90s using, you know, like LabCorp, Quest, other laboratories to try to nail down something. And one thing we did find, and it started development of our autoimmune disease lab, was that a lot of these patients had inflammatory markers, okay? And so I think the next big revelation for me was starting, I went to the third international biofilm meetings in uh, Vancouver, and that was really an eye-opener for me. So I don't know uh, if you know, but I did uh, two years of surgical pathology and doing autopsies on both brains and hearts. We would see this gunky material in the blood vessels, and when I saw pictures of biofilm basically gunk, Gradu or whatever you want to call it, plaque and pipes and hoses and surgical devices, I said, wow, this stuff looks very similar. I bet that plaque and this material that we call plaque could be a really a biofilm community and that's really the core of it. So finally in 2014, I got one of my colleagues, Rich Hoiser, who was actually still is uh, chief of cardiovascular at uh, one of the local hospitals. He's one of the big developers of stents and medical devices uh, in that arena. Rich said, hey, I think you could be right. Let's go ahead and do the study. So we tagged along with some other work that Rich was doing and we basically did metagenomic sequencing, not just for bacteria, but also the simpler eukaryotes, protozoans, fungi, and algae, and in procedures where he was cleaning out the carotids and also uh, thrombotic material in peripheral arteries and veins. And then we, because no one really does uh, atherectomies in hearts anymore, we just throw a stent in. So we had a problem getting materials, so we sourced fresh cadaveric plaque from two patients, okay? So what we found is that there certainly was a mixed biofilm community, but the major component wasn't really bacterial. It was these protozoans, fungi, algae, and protozoans, such as perkensis, the algae, a mix of different algae, and a lot of aquatic organisms, and that was our finding, Okay. And interestingly, in some recent work coming out now, in terms of arterial, other laboratories are sort of finding the same thing. 
not necessarily with DNA sequencing, but with simpler molecular techniques and stains. So in coronary artery disease, the main thing we found in the three samples were it was almost exclusively fungal and the same type of fungus. And this correlates with some work done by Dr. Ott and his laboratory in Kiel, Germany, where they finally got their paper published, but not in a clinical journal, that their fish and showed high amount of fungi in plaque. Okay. And so our working hypothesis, and this is based off of doing thousands of cases in patients now with chronic disease, is that we suspect that the main agent is fungal and that these other microbes that sort of hitch on board really enhance that and make it a more difficult problem. So look, that's kind of where we are. Look, <laughs> okay. No, that was good. That was excellent. I mean, so let me ask you a question. I'm always confused about what biofilm is. I, I imagine it is this goo that somehow gets secreted by the bacteria or fungi or whatever and makes it impenetrable to for the drug. Now, I, I don't know how to explain it. Can you explain biofilm for me? Right. Well, in the old days, we're talking, uh, I'll date myself back in the 70s in microbiology you know, the we call it the slime layer, okay? And we were thinking mostly prokaryotes or 16S or bacterial slime layers or biofilm layers. And the bacterial biofilm issue is really, it's a big field. There are thousands of publications on it right now. And really eukaryotic biofilms, that's fungi, protozoan, protozoans, and algae, is sort of a newer area of research in biofilms. So biofilms are basically are composed of complex polysaccharides. They can vary in composition. The biofilms are stabilized actually by DNA molecules, and they protect the organism from the environment. Uh, it allows nutrients to come in. Uh, it allows DNA to go out and other compounds, but it's there for protection. And within biofilm communities, we know that at least bacteria exchange genetic material. But it's really overall sort of a defense mechanism. Okay? And, is, and is it made by the organism or the, just the body in general? Yes, yeah. And they get together and they make biofilms. Then you can have mixed populations. We actually have pictures of eukaryotes, mobile eukaryotes, popping in and out of, uh, swimming in and out of complex biofilm communities in humans. Surprisingly enough. So, I mean, the infectious etiology of coronary artery disease isn't is not a brand new topic, and and I've heard you know they've tried antibiotics in the past for I think chlamydia or whatever, and, and there was no benefit. So, are they going after the wrong organism right. in your opinion, or? Is it the biofilm makes the antibiotic impenetrable to that? Good comment. So Dr. Heuser, who was our co-author, was actually involved in the Show Me trial. That was University of Arizona and uh, University of Utah. And they put patients on, the, you know, the operational hypothesis, it was mycoplasma. They put them on azithromax. I think it was a minimum of six months. They found no change. The problem is wrong organism, and we don't have a biofilm approach. So we think these are complex eukaryotic biofilms, probably mostly fungal in coronary artery disease, maybe the same in central nervous system disease, and we just don't have the right drugs, okay? Now, the question is, what if we used antifungals as an adjunct in current therapy? Would that work? Now, uh, the only analog I can come up with is I would, I've ran across a dermatologist who would treat rosacea patients, and he made a comment to me, knowing about this paper or, or the fact that working on it, he made a comment. He said, look, my rosacea patients who have been tetracy on tetracyclines for decades, they don't seem to have heart attacks. 
So the question would be, is that potentially preventative? I, I don't know the answer to that, okay? But to back up a little bit, what we would like to do is get our second project funded is to look at coronary plaque from various areas around the world, probably 100 to 200 cases, and more thoroughly map this plaque. And probably we would go for either the LAD or the circumflex or both. And then also let's backtrack and let's recharacterize using mass spec what the components of this biofilm really are. Okay. And I think that would be a first step in defining chemically and in terms of, you know, the population mix what the real target is. Okay. So this is talking about getting a biopsy of the plaque. And when you talk about the plaque, you're not talking about the calcified plaque. You're talking about the soft plaque, correct? When you take these samples. Well, you can do both. Usually there's soft plaque on top of the hard plaque. But our feeling about it is that the soft plaque, eventually these organisms, we, we don't think hard plaque is, we think it's an organic substance. And we think it's actually the glue that these organisms put down over a long period of time, and it may not be what we really think it is. You mean the calcified plaque isn't calcium? Which is really lip, lip, which is really just calcium, lipid, macrophages, inflammatory cells. I think we need to go back and recharacterize what plaque really is. We all rely on studies done really in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s on what plaque really is, okay? And I just think we need to go back and look at it and see, is this really true that this is really a fungal or mixed biofilm product? And then look at the chemistry again, really in detail. And I think that will give you some uh, insight into what the real problem is. All right. So your lab, how would it help a clinician assess coronary artery disease or if they believed it was an infectious process? It can't. You have to, you're, you're talking about taking samples of the plaque, are you? Is that the only way to do right. it? Right. And, and so really, I, I, I think if someone's having a procedure done, of course, they don't do really coronary atherectomies anymore. They just stent. Now, they're still doing carotid atherectomy with filters. That's kind of why we take it piggybacked on this study uh, here that was published. But really, I think we're going to find that the plaque is probably all mostly of a similar population, similar chemistry, and that really should be, you know, once you get that established, that will really be a a target for new medications, whether they're biologics or uh, synthetic, you know, chemicals or antibiotics or something like that. It'll probably be a combination. But to be honest, I'm totally convinced that this is what, you know, vascular disease is all about, is colonization of vascular by these eukaryotes, okay, mostly fungal, and that's really what the problem is. Now, I, I know you're very interested in a whole food, plant-based diet, and I've been thinking about this for years. Why does that diet work to actually reverse cardiovascular disease? And I think it's the antimicrobial, antifungal uh, elements that are in plants, fresh fruits and vegetables, vegetables that are suppressing and possibly reversing this infectious process, okay? And this could explain the results, I think, Esselton's uh, third study on roughly 160, 180 some odd patients done at Cleveland Clinic. So right now, there's not a way for a clinician to assess what bugs are in the plaque. I mean, just as a busy clinician, correct? Right. There's really, well, the problem is sampling. Okay. Right. Now let's back up a little bit. We do find in patients that are chronically ill, fun, mostly fungi, and it's the same fungi 
in the peripheral blood that we do see in the plaque, same genus, okay? And we do find in more ill patients, other organisms like uh, Perkensis, and in the ALS patients, we find algae. But I think in the whole vascular process and the obstructive process, these probably add to the disease, but I'm thinking the underlying issue is probably still fungal. There's a recent set of articles out of Madrid where they're doing PCR, simple sequencing, and fungal stains, and they're actually demonstrating in both Alzheimer's disease, and we just got a paper published last month on Lou Gehrig's disease where you can see the interior vasculature just covered with fungi, okay? So we may be on the right track. If you were going to make just a try to make a somewhat logical leap. So aged garlic extract has been shown to reverse soft plaque and actually it's slowed the progression of the calcification to a good degree. Dr. Budoff's done that research at UCLA. Pardon me, what, what extract? Aged garlic extract has been used. Oh, okay, right, right. To, yep. to, so it, if, yep. at first it was used to slow plaque, I mean, calcific, um, coronary calcium progression, and it showed it did that. Then they did a study where they showed reversal of soft plaque. And my question is, aged garlic extract, like EDTA, has been said to be a biofilm disruptor. If you're trying to come from the how-does-it-work point of view, does that make any sense? Absolutely. So one of the discussions I like to have is that what we're finding in patients that are chronically ill is a genus of uh, really a common soil fungus. It's all over the planet. In our chronic fatigue paper that was published last year, half of the normal control patients have this fungus or something like it. And so we all get exposed to this stuff at some time in our lives, okay? Now let's go narrow it down on this type of soil fungus. Well, plants, roots, uh, uh, they have a defense mechanism so that fungi in the soil don't invade them and destroy them and rot them, okay? And I believe garlic is basically the root component of that plant, and so it's developed chemicals that prevent invasion, okay? And so I think that's why something like that works. I think, I wonder if curcumin or turmeric may also have similar function and that may be why it works also. The EDTA thing intrigues me because um, I've been, you know, done some nasal cultures for Marcon's multiple antibiotic resistant staph and EDTA is being used now nasally as a biofilm disruptor. So Dr. Lama spoke there and there's, there's some benefit of chelation therapy and vascular disease and he hypothesized heavy metals. But I'm wondering also if that might possibly or it would be logical to think that that might be a way it might work in vascular disease. Any thoughts? Well, well, I had this discussion with Dr. Lamas. He has a copy of the paper, and I told him, I said, I think EDTA is acting as a biofilm inhibitor on these fungi, but it works great in bacterial biofilms, but maybe not so great in the eukaryotic biofilms, and that could be part of the problem, which is why you need to go back to the science again and really look at plaque again, see what it's made of, and maybe come up with a superior agent. Now, the other thing he talked about in his lecture series is the astounding data on people with cardiovascular disease and heart attacks is that they have higher uh, heavy metal levels, lead, cadmium, that sort of thing. We know that fungi in the glomeriaceae family used agriculturally, type of fungi used agriculturally, they actually impregnate plant roots in contaminated soils knowing that the fungi absorb these toxins but it doesn't really get into the plant itself. So all this sort of fits into this model of underlying fungal disease. These fungi concentrate metals. I wonder if these metals help them actually grow better, okay? And that could be part of this picture. Is there 
any, you talked about maybe treating with doxycycline, I believe, as, as kind of an antifungal agent correct? Is that what you said when we were sitting there chatting? Yeah, I started using an autoimmune disease, uh, the tetracyclines to doxycycline with pretty reasonable results for a lot of folks, not for everybody. And then once using DNA sequencing for these chronic inflammatory diseases, realizing that in most cases it was fungal, I started adding fungals, antifungals on board, and I got much, much better results, okay? And so there could be a drug combination that may work. And the best example is Barry Marshall's work, who back in the late 70s, they did the little experiment, well, let's make H. pylori broth, drink it, uh, give yourself an ulcer, and let's try to treat it, which they did. And it turned out in those days, it was a combination of bismuth, I think it was at that time Tagamet or something like that, along with uh, tetracycline and amoxicillin. So it took four different agents to knock out H. pylori because of its biofilm, okay? So we may be able to, if you you can effectively grow this stuff in a test tube. We've had difficulty growing. I mean, we can, but it's difficult to grow. To be able to do a series of experiments, trying a lot of different agents that are available now instead of creating something new, maybe a right, you know, there may be a combination of things that gets right down to it and knocks it out. If, if it's true, our model is correct. So would you ever shotgun somebody who was seen to be resistant to many approaches to atherosclerosis, a combination antifungal antibiotic, or does that seem too wild? I personally, in my practice, never did that, okay? We have a handful of doctors who use our lab with, you know, they're up against the wall and it's cardiovascular patients who've already had bypass, already been stented. But what I do hear a lot is a lot of these patients are unwilling to change their diets, okay? I get it. And uh, I think that I think that's a big component of therapy. And, you know, in Esselton's paper, they had 100% success in 3.8 years in the risk population who had had an MI. They didn't have another MI, okay? Uh, that's huge. Uh, compared to the uh, non-diet population, both on statins, by the way. Right. I guess what I hear you saying is you don't have a test to tell me what infectious agent might be in the plaque <laughs> and how to treat it, correct? Correct. <laughs> All right. And yeah, you need the plaque, okay? But we can infer, that's why we need to do a larger study with a larger population, with geographic you know, variability, we suspect, and just map that and see if there's a commonality there, and I suspect there is. It's probably going to be, I suspect, a general class of fungi with these other hitchhikers on board, but that'll be the uh, main component. Now, again, in our study, we looked at peripheral blood in that same group of, you know, 15 patients. Half of them, we didn't find anything, okay? So just because you have it in plaque doesn't mean it's circulating in the system. Okay, so uh, now we are working on, say, a liquid biopsy technology that's not available yet, but uh, you could possibly measure vascular load with liquid biopsy, we suspect. Getting back to why a whole food plant-based diet may work, could it be the other way around that there are things in, let's say, more animal products or processed foods that provide the pathogen does that make any sense or absolutely i tried to cut sugar out of my diet a couple of months ago just to see what would happen and it was very difficult with any processed food even health food because the third or fourth or fifth ingredient is sugar whether it's high fructose corn syrup or cane sugar it's still there and of course if you're a microbiologist you put sugar in all your culture systems to get things to grow okay right. also colin campbell told me uh he did some work years ago in pig cardiovascular disease, 
And he said what was more atherogenic than either carbohydrates or fat was protein, okay? Correct. And so protein is more atherogenic per mole or molecular weight or by amount than any of the other two food classes. And so, you know, we have this, uh, the typical American diet now is, you know, 30 to 40 percent animal protein, and that's a problem. And of course, he cites population studies of societies like Eskimos, the Maasai, who have a very high protein diet, uh, not so much sugar, and they have early cardiovascular disease. Anything else you'd like to say about your work or how we can prevent cardiovascular disease, in your opinion? The future, I think, for us is we would love to get this study funded and, uh, you know, really bore down on the real basic sciences of plaquing and just a new look at vascular plaque and vascular disease. Next would be, you know, of course, getting it out, getting it published. But next would be, from that information, come up with... uh, drugs or combinations uh, that would work to reverse it. And in the interim, I think that, uh, I think that's Esselton's third study. I saw it in my practice work. I saw it actually work on my wife who had uh, heart issues 10 years ago. And so the diet does, for most people, work for cardiovascular disease and vascular disease. I've seen literally miracles and you know, cardiovascular disease, ALS, renal disease, everything else when people change their diets. But again, it's hard for most people, especially in American society, to stop the meat and dairy products. Real tough problem. Now, the question is, you know, knowing what we know, could we get away with uh, a simple drug like doxycycline that has been used historically for dermatologic conditions long-term. But again, you know, would that help? I, I'm not sure. In augmentation of the whole food plant-based diet, maybe. But these are long studies. I mean, I think we could come up with a new type of drug or drug regimen in less time than it would take to do that study. Okay. Lastly, is there anything in animal products that could be infectious more than plant products, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I get the protein mean, issue. Uh, oh, you mean in just by eating plant, uh, no. animal products that could be a source? Yeah, of infectious agents that might enhance this. Besides- well, I think most people cook their meat. Dairy could be an issue. But I actually think that most people probably get infected through bug bites because we started out in the vector-borne disease arena. Also, insect bugs, mosquitoes, that sort of thing. Also, we know of cases where people have issues with ingestion, contaminated water, and also potentially food that could be raw, uncooked, or contaminated. Again, you're right, is a possibility, but it's environmental, okay? We have cases of people getting exposure respiratory, and I'm talking about a broad spectrum of chronic inflammatory disease. You know, we can always go back to some sort of inciting event. All right, Dr. Fry, well, thank you very much for taking time on your busy Friday, and I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Okay, thanks very much, Kirk. Have a good day. You too, and I want to thank you, the audience, for listening to this edition of the Staying Healthy Today Show, and until next time, stay and be well.